Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity, Lord, to get into your word. We look forward tonight, God, to what you're gonna teach us. I, I, this is like one of those high, high mountain peaks of, of uh, the Bible where, God, it's just so good just to bask in these few verses, these seven verses, just to, just to rest in them. And I pray, God, that they would speak to our hearts, that it wouldn't just be words we hear, it wouldn't just be some theological principles that we, we kind of settle on, but God, this would be us falling more in love with you, better understanding you. So I pray, God, I pray that as we dissect this, as we kind of look and, and deep, dive deep into it, that Lord, you, God, would have your way in each one of our lives, individually and corporately. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, tonight we're gonna kind of, I like to call this the theological Christmas. Like we celebrate Christmas, and I think most of us know Christmas is celebrating the birth of Christ, right? Well, this is the theology behind all of this. This is looking behind. Here's the way I look at it. Kind of pulling back the curtain and beginning to understand what really took place. A lot of us kind of believe certain things about Jesus. I just blew that. So we believe certain things about Jesus, and, and you know, we kind of hang on to him. But this is, listen, this is getting down to the nitty-gritty. Why do I believe what I believe? Why am I hanging on to that? Why is that something that's so important for us to understand? So the author of Hebrews, of Hebrews, of, of Philippians, is, has just got through telling us we need to be people who were unified, right? And we need to start putting others above ourselves, and we studied that last week and we looked at that last week. Don't do things out of selfish ambition or out of conceit and, and just like telling us to go forward. Now listen, we can have that principle, but here's the key to it. He's gonna unlock this key and give us an understanding. Here's what it means to put others first. Now before we get into that, I did write down, listen, I did write down some selfishness ideas. And this is selfishness and these are property laws of toddlers. So if you have a toddler, this is their property laws, right? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's still mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and put it down, automatically it becomes mine. Doesn't that sound like, doesn't that sound? Hey, and listen, we kind of laugh, but that's us. Oh, and then the last one is, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> now listen, we, we kind of laugh at that, but we're kind of that way. We haven't got much past that toddler thing. And the author of Philippians, listen, Paul, Paul's telling us, let's go deeper. Let's begin to understand. Let's start putting other people above ours. Let's put their needs greater than ours. And, and let's start moving in that direction. So again, he's challenged us to do that. And then verse five, to me, verse five is the key. And then we're gonna build from that. And it's a pretty simple statement. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Oh, now, the you there is church. He's talking, to, he's talking to us as a group. 
And he's saying, let this mind, now listen, he's not talking about obviously about that physical aspect. He's talking about attitude. Let the attitude of Jesus be in you. Let that, listen, let that begin to possess you and guide you and direct you. Let that be the thing that moves and motivates you in your life. And I think that's highly important. Listen, we, you know, years ago, right? For a while, there was a WWJD movement. And people got WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? That always bugged me that people got those because they think we should be doing what would Jesus do, not wear a bracelet trying to advertise what would Jesus do. And if you've been here any length of time, you know that my dog, Rocky, started that movement. He had a little tag that he had since he was a little puppy that said, what would Jesus do? That he wore on his collar, he went and and he went and he shared with neighbors. He would go to their house. He would go in their house. He wouldn't come out. He would hide in their house. And people would call me, your dog's at my house. And I go, how do you know it's my dog? And they would say, what would Jesus do? And I go, that's my dog. <laughs> so listen, it's one thing to say all of that, but it's another thing to live it. And so he's not saying, listen, he's not saying, let's just come up with some cool little things He's saying, we need to stop and evaluate our lives. We need to look at our lives and we need to ask ourselves, how am I doing there? Am I really putting on the mind of Christ? Kind of a, a great song we open with, kind of going along these same lines. Am I really doing that? Am I really concerned about others? Am I putting others before me? Am I caring about them? And listen, that doesn't mean you're gonna care about every person out there but are you really caring about anybody? And here's what I think. I think it starts in here. And then I think it also starts with our immediate family. So let this mind, listen, here's what he says. So let this mind or this attitude be in you, church, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, what mind was that? What does that look like? What was that attitude? Now he's going to explain that. And in verse six, he starts explaining, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what does it look like to have the mind of Christ? That's what it looks like. And so he begins, listen, he begins with this, this grand, grand move that I'm not sure we will, I don't know if we will ever completely comprehend what really took place when the second person of the Trinity who has existed forever stepped out of heaven into humanity. What does that look like? And so I think, listen, I think Paul's doing the best he can trying to put it into words. And he says, listen, first of all, who being in the very form of God, listen, he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean God doesn't have a form, right? He's not talking about external. He's talking about in essence, in substance, everything that God is, Jesus is. Because Jesus is God. And this is a tremendous statement, man. Listen, when he's saying something like this, this is huge. I believe this is a great passage to take Jehovah's Witnesses to. Oh, they'll argue with you, but you need to stand your ground. You need to know. Hey, you need to know, like, for instance, here, he's not saying, hey, he was in the form of God, but that when he talks about that, he's meaning he came and he was being in the very, he existed in the very essence of God because he is God. 
And then when it says, listen, when it says being in that very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, why did he not consider that robbery? Because he was God. Hey, if you are, you are, right? And you're not having, here's the crazy thing. Have you ever thought about this? Like Jesus didn't run for the office of Jesus. He didn't, listen, he didn't have to compete for it. It wasn't something, listen, it wasn't something he attained to or he achieved. It's something he is. And that's important for us to get a hold of. It's important for us to understand. Listen, he's not saying that Jesus is, is in, in some, as some say, he's not saying that Jesus is saying, oh, I'm really not God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I didn't consider it robbery to be equal to God because I am God. I don't have to grab it. J.B. J, uh, J. Phillips, a guy who, there's the Phillips translation of the Bible. He wrote it best. I'm trying to find where he wrote it. Here, listen to how he put it in his translation. I love this. Let your attitude to life be that of Jesus himself. For he who had always been God by nature, did not cling to his privileges as God's equal, but he stripped himself of every advantage by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born a man. Wow, doesn't that say it good? So listen, he's not, he didn't hang on to that. He could have, but he didn't. I'm reading a book right now called Another Gospel by Elisa uh, Childers and uh, uh, a great thing, it's, it's weird. She was in a, like a, a girl band a long time ago and now she's turned to a, a theologian and an apologist. But this is all about, listen, this is all about the progressive church and what's going on. I think it's appropriate for our, our culture is being attacked big time in that area. That's one of the areas. The other areas is, is in the critical race theory and all of that coming at the church. That we need to understand what those things are and what's going on. And we need to have a handle on them. And we need to understand them. We don't need to be angry and bitter. We need to understand them. And one of the things she's talking about is right here. How many people in that progressive movement don't believe Jesus was God? So that destroys everything. Listen, that tears everything down. And then you can't put, listen, if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, how can you have his mind? And on the flip side of that, how can you have his mind if you don't know what the Bible says about him and you don't understand? So when we begin to break this down, listen, and we begin to understand, first of all, he is God, and he did not consider his position with God was something that he had to cling to, something that he had to grab a hold of and never let go of. Are you kind of hearing what he's saying? Now listen, I think that's important that we understand. The progressive church, a lot of the progressive church accused God of being a cosmic child abuser. Why? Because he sent his son to die for our sins. Hey, this sounds weird. That's what they believe. They're saying, what kind of God would do that? And he's this huge cosmic child abuser. That's big in the church right now. And, and people are talking about it. Here's what he said. Do you know that Jesus voluntarily laid that? The second person of the Trinity, my Bible says, since before the foundations of the world, made that decision. I am going to take that position. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to become man, and I'm going to do it for one reason, to die. 
So that's what's being said here. So listen, as he says this, and he, and he did that then, verse 7 says, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So here's the thing. This is, this is touching on, if you're in theology at all, and you study Christology, right? That's a form of studying Christ. What does that mean? And you begin to dig deep, and you begin to look at it. In this area, we're talking about, there's, there was a big thing in, in uh I think it was the early 1800s, maybe a little earlier now, called the kenosis theory. And the kenosis theory is this, that Jesus emptied himself, and some of your translations might even say that, that he emptied himself, bad translation. Because here's what that implies, he emptied himself of his deity. Jesus did not empty himself of his deity. He didn't do away. When Jesus came, he was fully God, period. He didn't, listen, he didn't put aside his deity to become human. He was fully God and fully man. He was 100% God, 100% man. And I love to emphasize that. Now listen, I know mathematically that doesn't work real well, but that's our God. And so when it says, listen, I like the way the, the New King James says it, you know, it says, listen, but he made himself of no reputation. Or the way J.B. Phillips put it, is he did not cling to his privileges as God's equal. He was in a position, listen, Jesus was God, and he didn't cling to all of the privileges, everything that that means. He let go of that, and listen carefully, he veiled it in humanity. He put humanity as a veil over that. He didn't get rid of it. He veiled it to become human so that he could die for our sins. It's important we understand that because there's that big thing. Listen, there's a lot of people that say Jesus was not God when he became man. Yes, he was. And now you might say, why is that so important? Why do we wanna, I get stuck on it because my salvation depends on that. And here's, here's why I believe that so intently is Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. I believe most of us here tonight believe that. I believe we came tonight because it's communion night. It's good to see a full house on communion night. And we're here, why? Because we want to celebrate the fact that he died for our sins. But what does that really look like? Does it mean he just died on a cross and our sins are forgiven? No, we have a God who's a just God, a righteous God, a holy God. And our God has to, must, because of him, because of who he is. He must punish sin. It's gotta be punished. He can't wink at it. He can't say, oh, it's okay. He can't say, he can't be indifferent towards it. He's gotta punish it. How did he punish our sins? He put them onto Jesus. And Jesus, listen carefully, had to be deity. He had to be fully God so that when he was on that cross in that few hours, he took on the eternal wrath of God. Are you understanding that? He took the wrath of God that you deserve, that I deserve. What is that? That's eternal, right? We deserve the eternal punishment of God. He took it in a moment, in an instant of time. How could he do that? By being fully God. If he's not fully God, he can't do that. So he took our punishment, and that's why I think it's important to say, no, he didn't do away with his deity. He just veiled his deity. Now, he did give up some privileges, and he did veil that, and he did choose 
to be obedient to the Father we're going to read in a moment. So he put himself in another position, but he never did away with his deity. So now we have, listen, now that we understand that, he made himself of no reputation, or he veiled, you know, that part, and it says, taking the form of a bondservant. What does a bondservant do? A bondservant takes care of others. They don't get to do nothing for themselves. A bondservant is like the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant. Every time I read that, I think about Jesus in the upper room. When they all gathered together that last night, they're gonna have the, quote, last supper. And they all come in, and here's what blows my mind. They all go in there. You got, you got the 12, you got Jesus, and each one of them, man, when they walked in, here's what they saw when they walked in that room. A basin and a towel. And one by one, they looked at it. Not me. Not me. Peter, John, James, Matthew, Bartholomew, the one we all remember. Judas. They all walked by that. Why? Because they didn't have the mind that is in Christ Jesus. And what happened? Jesus got up, took the towel, wrapped it on him, and did what? Went and washed their feet. That's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the slaves' position to do. And he taught them something that night, right? That's why he came. Listen, he came to demonstrate what it looks like but greater than that, he came to die for our sins. He came as a servant, as a bond servant, putting everybody above him. And so listen, he says he, he came in that form. Again, that, there's that, and, and that word's a strong word about, it's an it's a, it's a essence, essence of a person or a being, and it's the very, very core of who they are. And he says, listen, man, in the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. So that's Jesus. Why did, he have to, why did he have to become man? Because he, again, had to live that sinless life. But greater than that, he had to communicate to us. I'm sure you've heard people talk about, you know, hey, you got ants and you want to get rid of the ants. Most of us poison them, right? But wouldn't it be nice to become an ant and tell the ants, get out of my house and stay out of my house. I don't want to have to poison you. Wouldn't that be better? Well, that's what Jesus did. Right, only he stepped out of heaven. Every time I think about that, he left all of that glory, everything, and he became in the likeness of man, why? So he could communicate to us, but again, greater. His greatest uh, reason for coming was to die. So he came in the likeness of man, and then he goes a little bit further, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Underline that, mark that. Nobody told Jesus what to do. Jesus did it. He wasn't commanded by the Father to do it. He wasn't bullied or pushed or coerced into doing it. What does it say? He humbled himself. He made that decision himself. And you know, for you and I, I think that's a key to, quote, putting others first. We gotta humble ourselves. We gotta cognitively we got to think in our heads 
I want to get by that person. I want to lift them up. I want them to be all they can be. I'm going to do that. I'm going to humble myself. We can't do this. Listen, you can't put on the mind of Christ and then have somebody, here's what you need to be doing. Here's a list of rules. It's got to come from within. It's got to come from your heart. The father, and it bothers me when I hear this cosmic child abuse. The father didn't make Jesus do it. The second person of the Trinity before he became Jesus had full power to do whatever he wanted to do. And he humbled himself. I think that's important for us to understand. He humbled himself. He took that position and he humbled himself. Listen, and it says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient. So first we have, listen, we have us as a church, we need to put on the mind of Christ. We need to think like Christ. We need to, you know, grab a hold of that. And the only way you're gonna do that is by knowing Christ. And the only way you're gonna know Christ is by getting into the word and understanding who he is. And then, listen, then we have to be people, I wanna become a servant. I wanna serve. And then lastly, I wanna be obedient. I don't care, listen, I don't care what it costs me, I don't care what people say, I don't care what, ha I want to be obedient to my God, because that's what Jesus did. He was obedient, it says, he was obedient to death, which death is bad enough, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm really not looking forward to dying, I'm kinda looking forward to heaven, but the whole dying, the whole process, I haven't done that yet, and I'm like a little fearful of it. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what that experience is. I, I, I'm all about, I wanna be in heaven, but dying just like freaks me out a little bit. And anybody who says it doesn't, you're a little freaky. <laughs> but Jesus was obedient to death. That's why he came. I always have this, I, I gotta, Bisbee imagination. And I just think of eternity past and what was that all about? Do you, do you understand that God has been around forever? <laughs> we nod our heads. We can't comprehend that, can we? Do you know how forever backwards is? It's like forever. It's like all the way back and it doesn't stop. And do you understand that God has existed forever? past and do you know in that forever he was never lonely he was never sad he never needed anything although that just blows my mind it's just like Pfft. and sometime in that forever past Jesus said hey we're going to do this creation thing right we're going to really do this yeah let's do this sometimes I think yeah let's have fun with this but um kind of exaggerating her. Okay, we're gonna do this creation thing. You know, you know what's gonna happen. I'll go die for him. I'll become man. I'll become flesh. I'll die. And when we think it was easy, you gotta look at him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus came to the very end, listen, he didn't say, hooray. What did he say? If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he was obedient even to the point of death. And then it goes further, listen carefully, to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, in the first century, the cross wasn't something that people would put, that people wouldn't have even put a cross in their church, 
Crosses were ugly, they were inhumane, they represented the worst form of capital punishment that could ever happen. And now think about that. Not only did he say, yes, I'll die, here's what he said, I'll even go to the cross. Did Jesus have to die on a cross? I don't think so. I don't think the whole dying on the cross was his paying for our sin. His paying for our sin was done in a spiritual sense. I think the death on the cross gives us an example as we watch the agony and how gruesome that is that we kind of get a glimpse into how horrendous it was spiritually. But listen, he didn't have to die on the cross. But he submitted to that. He knew that's what was coming. He submitted to all of the shame that that represented, all of the scorn that he would have to put up with, even just in those few hours. He submitted to all of that. Now, let's think about that. That's the mind of Christ. Are you willing to do it? Wow, that's a pretty big ask, huh? I read that and I'm going, uh, I don't mind humbling myself. I don't mind serving. It's like not my favorite, but I don't mind serving. Dying, I'm a little bit freaked out about. Cross, no. So look at him. Listen, this is what he's telling us to do. Now, we studied Hebrews, right? And some of you read that over the weekend. I know at least one person told me they read it. They told me exactly how long it took. How many of you read it? Two, three, four. Some people put their hand halfway up. That means you got through the first six chapters. Listen, but listen, in Hebrews, it's talking about that. It's talking about him coming. It's talking about what he did. It's talking about him paying for our sins. And here's what he's saying, man. He did this obediently to the Father. I want to be obedient. But then Hebrews says this. He did it for what? The joy set before him. What was that joy? Look at each other. Right? It's saving souls. But I think there was a little bit of this too. Now, listen, we went, and it's kind of some of you are going, man, that was kind of a downer, and I invited friends tonight. <laughs> listen, we're going to like, shh. Because look, he goes down, and here's what you need to understand. What did Jesus say? To become great, you must become the least. He became the least. Now, check this out. This is like where we come back up. Verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. Yes, yes. How did he highly exalt him? When he raised him from the dead, right? I mean, I, I think that's a, every time I think of the resurrection, man, I, I just think of, I think of those ladies going to that tomb that first morning and how their minds were blown. I think of Peter and John racing there and what they told each other, the two guys on the road to Maine, everybody trying to process this and trying to deal with that because nobody had done that and they're trying to deal with it. And here's what it says, God exalted him to the highest position ever. What does that mean? He put him back where he was. What did Jesus pray in John chapter 17? He says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had in the beginning. And that's what's going on. So listen here, man. It says, listen, therefore God is highly, that word highly exalted, it's kind of funny. In the original, it means super exalted. I kind of like that better, don't you? 
Kind of bums me when we try and, you know, make it like more proper in English. I kind of like that. God super exalted him. I know that doesn't like flow, but he super exalted him and has given him the name which is above every other name. Every name. There's no name higher than Jesus. I don't care what people say. Nothing is greater than Jesus. And when we settle that in our hearts, when we believe that in our hearts, nothing is better. I remember years ago, uh, one of the guys that's a part of the Calvary movement and been since the beginning, Don McClure, he had, he had three sons and one of them owns Inspired Travel that we deal with. Another pastor's a, a church in San Jose. I don't know what the third one's doing, but uh, one of them, I think the one that's pastoring in, in San Jose now, one of them went totally into the world. And I remember Don was talking, and this is, this is when he went into the world, and Don's talking at a conference, and he grabbed his son, and here's what he told his son. He says, son, there's nothing better than Jesus, but you've always had the world in your eyes, so you go search, and you go look. And here's what he said, and if you find anything better than Jesus, you come back and tell me, because I want to know. And his son went down a horrific road. He was so strung out on drugs, he ended up in emergency rooms three times. Don never went to the emergency room. He just waited. I think it was four years. There's a knock on his door. He answers his door, and here's this emaciated figure that resembled his son. And he looked at his dad, and he says, Dad, there's nothing better than Jesus. Yes. His name is above every name, every name. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the good part, I think, especially as we're coming to, to, to communion, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Yes! Every knee will bow, period. That doesn't mean everyone's gonna get saved. It means at some point in time, everyone who's ever existed is going to bow to Jesus Christ. You can bow now or you can bow later. You're going to bow. Bowing now, listen, means freedom. Bowing later means condemnation. It's a choice you have to make, but every knee is going to bow. I remember again, years ago, I was at some, some concert. Actually, it was down in Douglas and, and some, quote, Christian rock band. And, and uh, I mean, they were like, they were playing heavy metal stuff. It was like, wow. And a little screechy, a little, little out of my comfort zone. And I'm going, this is like a little bit weird. I don't even remember who they were. But then this guy handed me a track. And I, I look at the track and ahead of it said, three seconds, there, or I know, here's what it said, there are no unbelievers in hell. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. What kind of cult is this? <laughs> and then I started reading it and it says, there's no unbelievers in hell because three seconds in hell will make you a believer, but it's too late. Oh, man, that's kind of chilling, huh? Good track. Every knee, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Period. Everyone. 
can do it now or you can do it later. It's a choice that we have to make. Now here's the thing. I've taken Jehovah's Witnesses to this passage. And I've asked them, how do you deal with this? Because their Bible, if you use their Bible, the New World Translation, says the same thing here, not, not in verse five or six. You gotta kind of skip those, you get to here, and it says the same thing, and they go, but you, and I said, if every knee bows and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, what does that make him? And here's what they told me with a straight face. Well, because he's a God with a little G, not a big G. So here's what I told them. You say I'm a heretic because I believe in a trinity. I do believe in a trinity. I believe we have one God who is manifested in three different, we say persons. I don't know, I don't know what term to use. But we have three different personages in the Bible who all claim attributes of God. And they say, you're a heretic. And I said, but here's the thing. You are definitely a heretic because you just told me you have two gods. You have a big G God and a little G God. Like, that matters, right? It's like, I'm saying, come on. And they go, well, you don't understand. And I go, no, I don't, and I will probably never understand. But then you can take them to this. Listen to this passage. Let me read this to you. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. That's in Isaiah. That's Isaiah chapter 45. I'm not gonna put the verse up there because I want you to find it. That's in Isaiah 45, and who's speaking there? Yahweh, Jehovah. Call him what you want. God is speaking, and isn't it saying the same exact thing we just read? What does that make Jesus? God. Why do people get so uptight about that? So, here's the deal. We need to be people who humble ourselves. Now, listen, I don't want you to go away from here going, man, I'm gonna humble myself because I might get some of that. <laughs> like some of that glory. You're gonna go to heaven whether you humble yourself or not. If you've accepted Jesus Christ and believe he died for your sin and you put your trust in him, you're gonna go to heaven. Why do you need to humble yourself? To have all that you can out of this life. I believe, and I say it all the time, God left us here for a purpose, for a reason. And we're here to glorify him and to honor him. That's why we're here. And so here's what we need to do. We need to find out how best can I glorify God? Because if I work at best, and I'm not talking about work salvation, but if I work my best to glorify God, you know what that means? I'm gonna have the best possible life there is. And so I want, I want a good life. I enjoy life. I don't know about you guys. I have fun. I think life is fun. I think it's a ball. I think it's fun to do crazy things. I think it's fun to get, you know, out on a limb and cut, cut the limb off and see what happens. I just think, I think we should enjoy this life. But the greatest enjoyment should be this, serving the Lord. How best can I serve him? I have never been more fulfilled or more happy or more at peace with myself than when I started serving the Lord. And it just gets better and better and better and better. And I know it's going to continue to be better. So I wanna humble myself. 
I want to have the mind that's in Christ. I want to think like him. I don't want to just, I don't just want to say, hmm, what would Jesus do in this situation? I want to say, I know exactly what he would do because I have the mind of Christ. I have that attitude. And here's what I'm going to do. Pretty cool stuff, huh? So, Paul once again tells us that we need to esteem others better than ourselves and then he spends seven verses telling us how to do that. Now he's gonna get involved a little bit with Paul. So we're gonna stop here and we're gonna think about it. And what a passage to come to a communion on, huh? Think about, think about what Jesus did. Think about what, on our behalf, what he did. And tonight as we celebrate, let this be one of those times where you just kinda get a little bit of heaven as you're in his presence. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you for all that you do. And Lord, what a joy to know you. And it's one thing to read these things and, and look at them, but it's a whole nother thing to internalize them. And we understand, listen, this isn't just some theology that we need to understand, although it's important, but it's gotta go beyond understanding. And it's got to come alive to us and real to us. And as we think of this one, we're coming to his table tonight. And we think about him. What a great, great God that we have. There is no God like our God. There is no other deity in any other faith who even comes close to what Jesus Christ did for us. Thank you tonight for this gift of salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.